0: food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. The world of food blogging has so many similarities to other professions and other experiences and journeys. And in this episode, Joanne Steckler from Ugly Duckling Bakery joins me and she makes the connection with her career in academia and how so many of the lessons that she has learned there also apply to food blogging. She talks about so many things that you will be able to relate to. And things you'll be able to learn from as well. Things like this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. You have to be persistent. You have to stay in the game for a long time sometimes. Your journey is your journey. It's not anyone else's. You can't do this job alone. Surrounding yourself with good people is imperative and many other things that we discuss inside the episode. It is episode number 427, sponsored by Rank IQ. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to Eat Blog Talk. scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave Eat Blog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Joanne is a lifelong baker, but it wasn't until 2020 when she was stuck at home with her elementary school kid that she started baking and cooking with a purpose. You'll find recipes on the Ugly Duckling Bakery blog that she makes for her family, ranging from 30-minute weeknight meals to more complicated weekend cooking, baking projects made from scratch, and classic cocktail variations. Joanne hopes to share some of the science and history tips and tricks to understand how and why recipes work and enough foundation so that readers can start to create their own recipes. Joanne, thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I'm good, Megan. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. I'm excited to chat about all the lessons you've learned from your career that apply to food blogging, but first we want to know if you have a fun fact to share with us.
1: My fun fact is that, not surprisingly, I'm a bit of an overachiever. And once I get an idea in my mind to do something, it's hard for me to turn away from it. And so that means I've done a lot of things that people think I'm a little bit crazy for doing, like going to medical school in the first place. But also I took a year off to backpack around the world. I've done an Ironman triathlon. And I think some people think about it related to my blog as well.
0: Oh, backpacking around the world. I feel like that could be A whole evening with a glass of wine or three and such a fun chat. What an experience.
1: Oh, it was the best thing I think I've ever done in my life.
0: Okay. I need to hear more about that sometime. But super excited to hear about everything that you've learned. And yes, I love how that fun fact applies to blogging because you did just kind of dig into blogging. So tell us that story. Yeah,
1: well, I've always loved food. I'm a older person, my (laughs) 50s, and I've always been cooking and baking. And I'm an infectious disease doctor. And so when the pandemic started in 2020, I was sharing as much information as we had in March of 2020. And it was really scary. I think there was a lot of fear about it. And I just felt bad about only posting about COVID. And so this story I tell on my blog, and it's true that I think it was early on in March, I said, I'm tired of posting about COVID and I want to post something else. So tell me why my bean, bur- why my bean burgers always turn out mushy and how to stop that. And so we had a bunch of conversation. A lot of my friends are foodie people also about things that they did to make their bean burgers and I played around with it and I shared back on Facebook and I just kept sharing my food. I posted my dinners every day and then people kept encouraging me for a while. I'd stop and people would ask me to start again. And, and so I just kept doing it. And then eventually I said, you know, maybe I should start a blog. I knew not, I knew nothing about what I was going to be doing, but I said, okay, I'm going to start a blog. Why not? Sounds like fun.
0: Oh, I love it. So you just dug in, you just started, and you haven't looked back.
1: Haven't looked back. It's been so much fun. I really enjoy learning. I'm a lifelong learner. And so all the things that there are to do with blogging, I have dug into and tried to learn some more than others. Some I've enjoyed more than others. But it's yeah. it's been a ride.
0: So how does that fit in with your career, being a doctor? Have you been able
1: to carve out enough time for blogging, do you feel? There's never enough time. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's one of my life lessons. There's never enough to do that. Do you want me to say the things that I was going to say in my... Sure. In my, so, yeah. so one of those lessons is that there's never enough time. Your to-do list is always going to be longer than you could manage to do. And it's really then just about prioritizing. So I've gone too far (laughs) to some degree. I mean, it was easier at the beginning of the pandemic because I have a nine-year-old kid who was in school at the time. And so she was at home and I, I couldn't work as much as I wanted to because I was at home all the time with her. So I did a lot more blogging and cooking and cooking with her and focusing more on the blog. And since I've returned back to work and back into the office, I've definitely pulled back on what I've done, how often I've been able to post, how often I've been on social media, and really tried to figure out my balance again. Yeah. That time
0: skewed so much for a lot of us. I feel like we were thrust into being at home and so we had more time to Blog and do you know like cook and do all the fun things we like to do, but then yeah, like it was just not balanced either. So we've had to like readjust as we've emerged from the pandemic.
1: And there are things that I think the pandemic has done for us in a positive way. I, mean, I f- feel like. I can work from home and that's fine and I can be, I dropped down from 100% to 80%. So now I'm not working on my work on Fridays because there are other things that I want to do. I want to go hiking. I want to cook. I want to make cocktails. I And I think that's become more acceptable that people realize during the pandemic that, that there was life outside of work.
0: Ooh, yes. So true. Life exists outside of blogging. It's true.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I am definitely a different person in all parts of my life than I was a few years ago. Yeah. It's good to
0: remind ourselves that some good things actually did come out of there. We get so overcome by all of the negative things that came out of it that we just need to remind ourselves of that sometimes. So thank you for that. Okay. So you have other things that you learned that you have kind of taken from your career that apply to blogging.
1: So why don't you talk through some more of those? Sure. So the first is that it's years, right? That blogging, like my career, like academic medicine, is it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you have to be in it for the long haul. And persistence will eventually pay off. And I think about this in the same way that I, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro a, a bunch mm. of years ago uh, pre-kid, and there's a word in Swahili that is pole pole for slowly, and they used it, we had to do a guided trip, they use it to say, you're, you're not running up Kilimanjaro, all you're doing is putting one step, one foot in front of another, and you're keeping going, and eventually if you put one foot in front of the other, you're going to, get someplace. And so I think that that's true, no matter whether it was in academic medicine or for me thinking about blogging, that it's not, there are some people who have success immediately, but for the rest of us, it's just doing it and then keep doing it and doing it some more. This is like one of the most important points.
0: If you're getting into food blogging, in my opinion, because it's so easy to look at those people that you referred to who get in and they find quick success. And it's easy for people to look at them and be like, why is that not me? Why did that not happen to me? And then they get hyper-focused on that. And you know, we just need to step back and realize what you just said. It is a marathon for 99% of people, probably 99.99% of people. So just stick with it, even through the frustration and comparing yourselves and all of
1: that. I so agree. And that's my second point, which is it's your path mm. and nobody else's. And it's so hard. We we all do this. We fall all fall into the comparison trap. And I do that in medicine too, right? There are people who I've trained who are younger than me who are now running academic divisions, but that's not what I want. and. There are people who started their food blog after I did a couple of years ago. There, there are people who started probably this year who have already qualified for Mediavine or whatever ad company they're looking for. And it seems, and I think this is true in social media, right? One of the criticisms is that you only generally see the positive things, but it seems like people have everything going for them. And one of the things that I always tell my patients who say, you know, you have everything going for you. How, how did you... You're not dealing with the things that I'm dealing with. And what I try to tell them is that it may seem like that sometimes, but everybody has their own shit. Yes. Your
0: path is unique. That is something we so often lose sight of. I've done it so many times in my own journey, just like making my path someone else's and having to remind ourselves that, yeah, I have my own journey. We all do. Mine's been exceptionally long at times and I did things the hard way it's not always going to be perfect,
1: right? No, no. I've thought about my blogging journey as I've been thinking about this conversation that we're having. And I remember saying to myself, you know, I started off wrong. I started off not doing keyword research and I probably didn't think about SEO so much. And I thought, okay, now it's, you know, three months in and I'm going to do everything right so that I don't have to go back and make all those changes. But of course, I messed up. We all mess up. It's never perfect. Plus, things are changing, and so it's sort of funny to think back now. Thinking, yeah. oh, I think I was gonna do it right, right <laughs> the first time. And you're like, no, yeah. you're never gonna do it right, and nothing's ever done, and yeah, you're just going to always go back and update. It's just like going
0: through a blog post. For me, when I go through old blog posts, I'm like, okay, this time it's perfect. I have everything. And then like three months later, I'm like, wait a second. I didn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) It's always changing and you're always making tweaks to everything, every part of this business. So tell me, okay, what else do you have as far as lessons you've learned that you've carried over to food blogging?
1: This is a good one. So my next is that it's not just about doing hard work. And this comes from the fact that I'm not the most outgoing person. I say I'm sort of on the border between being an extrovert and introvert. My husband likes to say I'm an introvert completely. (laughs) But I would really, from a work perspective, just like to sit in my office or sit in the corner and do my work and do great work and get recognized for that. And unfortunately, that's not the way the world works, right? I mean, we can put ourselves nose to the grindstone, and put out the best blog post. But unless we're promoting ourselves, unless we're on social media, unfortunately, unless we're out meeting other bloggers and talking to other bloggers and and getting our names and our faces known, we're not going to get as recognized for that hard work. So I really stress to my mentees, I really stress the importance of going to conferences and networking and getting your name out there and becoming a real person because that's how you get the opportunities passed to you. And one of the stories I like to tell is how when I was a young fellow right after my training, actually still in my training, is that we have divisional retreats every year we did before the pandemic. And at one of those retreats, I just sat down at the poker table where all of the, all of the legends, old white men, all of these (laughs) folks were sitting at the table playing poker. And I think I might have been the only woman at this table and I just played poker. And the fact that these legends we will say got to know me and know who I was and know that I could play poker really, I think helped put future, you know, yeah, It doesn't make me sound great to have opportunities to write manuscripts or give talks because it's more work. But but that's how you get known. That's how you expand your scope is having those opportunities that people can give to you. And so it's unfortunately not enough to just do hard work. You have to get out there and self-promote. Oh, gosh. this is That was so well-worded. I
0: love how you said that. It is so true. And I think we can talk ourselves into just not believing that, like, oh, it's fine. I did that for so many years. I'd be like, all I have to do is sit here and do the work over and over in my basement by myself. But I wasn't getting anywhere. It was like the wheels spinning syndrome that just goes on and on. And then once you start connecting with people in real life, it is a game changer. I love this point. I feel like we could have probably a separate talk just about this point. I love it.
1: And I know you talk about Tastemaker. I've not been to Tastemaker and I haven't done any conference travel since the pandemic started for a few reasons. But I know it. it, once I start doing work travel that I really want to go to Tastemaker and get to know people, all these folks whose names I know I want to actually meet them in real person. And I know that that can only help in the future. So Real life connections are amazing. They are. Yes.
0: Okay. What else do you have? What other lessons for us?
1: It's related to that. It's about mentoring, right? It's you need to learn from other people. And one of the things that's important to me is sharing that learning. And as I've gotten older, one is recognizing that it is true that people who are older than you and more experienced, you do have words of wisdom that you should listen to, but also that you can get those words of wisdom from people who are at your level, who are who are colleagues or, or even your mentees. And so that's something that as as an academic doc, we learn all the time, learning from people all around us. But I think that that's true of other bloggers, that as folks come up, that it's part, part of the thing that makes the blogging world less frustrating is to have other people who I can share even the few lessons that I've already learned but also that there are people who can teach me about their cultures, who can sort of look at what I'm saying and say from an equity standpoint, hey, you really should think about not using the word crack or not Mm -hmm. talking about foods in a way that represents the colonization of food. And so the there's there's always stuff to learn and you should be learning it from everybody and listening to all the folks around you. I'm not sure if I said that right.
0: Yeah, no, like just keeping an open mind all the time and I guess like just always knowing that you don't know it all and there's always something to learn. From anyone from yes. everyone, right? Like someone who has been blogging for a year or two, they teach me things that I never thought about. I'm always surprised by that. I interview people who just started blogging a year ago and I'm like, oh my gosh, you just taught me so much. So n- no one is off limits and no amount of experience is off limits either.
1: Yeah. And that is the another point. The You don't know everything and you will never know everything. There is always more to learn. There is, and I guess that's one of the things that's been really interesting to me about blogging and writing recipes is that I thought I was a good cook and (laughs) baker. No, I, you know, I would have said, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a good home cook, but I have learned so much about the science behind writing recipes for baking and learning how to how to create a recipe was something I didn't really do. I did some of before the pandemic before I started blogging but it has been really freeing to think to take a keyword and to create a recipe oh. around it right? you probably have that experience too where you know your family says, why did you make your recipe with this? Google told me to do it, right? (laughs)
0: Yes, exactly. Oh, my gosh. I have learned just so much about, like, cooking techniques. And, like, when I first started blogging, I was like, how do you properly cut an onion? So I would, like, research that, and then I would kind of experiment with ways to cut veg. Like, I have learned so much that I never would have probably dug into if it were not for being a food blogger.
1: Right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's having the curiosity to understand that there might be a problem. And that's true in medicine also, right? We don't know how do I get some, I focus on HIV. So how do I get someone to take their HIV medicines? And you think about the problems and you research the problems, you ask the questions and then you try something.
0: Yeah. I I just, Yeah,
1: I know. There is no end. There is no end. It never
0: ends. And that is something that we all have to accept, right? Because I think it's kind of an illusion that like at some point I'm going to get caught up and know everything. But that's just never the case. Things are always evolving.
1: Oh, you're never done. No, you're never never done.
0: It's the mail. (laughs) It's like the mailman mentality. You never, ever, ever finish what you're doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true for so so much in all parts of our lives. Yes,
0: that is true. And laundry. Laundry never ends either. I'm doing some right now, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, will
0: you ever go away? Do you want to know how to create compelling video content and have the skills and best practices for how to make the most of it? Then the Tastemaker Food Videography Workshop is for you, and it is here to show you how. Enjoy a weekend hanging out with like minded food creators, trying out local restaurants, all while increasing your skill set. The future of the internet is video, especially short format, which is definitely having a moment right now. This workshop is for food creators looking to level up their video content creation. It takes place July 20th through 23rd, 2023 in Portland, Oregon. It is put on by Tastemaker Conference. Liz Merrick will be speaking. She is an award-winning cake decorator, author, founder, and CEO of Sugar Geek Show. She is well known for teaching the science behind baking, cake decorating, and creating gravity-defying 3D cakes. With over 2.5 million followers on TikTok, Liz is the video queen. Join Liz and other like-minded peers at this amazing workshop. For more information and to grab your spot, go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources, scroll down to the Tastemaker logo and find the orange button labeled Food Videography Workshop. Secure your spot today to level up with your video content creation. What other lessons do you have for us, Joanne? I was gonna say I don't feel
1: so so oppressed by oh. my laundry
0: as I do by other by email. Oh email that's such a great one. <laughs> I I, it's a constant struggle for me. I'm always asking people, that's like my one go-to question recently when I talk to another entrepreneur, I'm like, how do you deal with your email? Because I always feel like I need the perfect strategy to deal with this endless stream of emails that I'm deleting or replying to or whatever. Like, oh, it's, yeah, it stresses me out.
1: <laughs> but that leads, so leads into my next oh, point about prioritization and the fact that there's never enough time, right? We just talked about that. There's never enough time to do all the things. There are some things you need to get done and there are, you have to take care of yourself and your family and other things. And so how do you prioritize? And I'm one of those people. I have tried so many different ways and I finally have a prioritization way that works for me, <laughs> but I know that it doesn't work for everybody. And I'll tell you about it in a second, but the email question, the one thing that I have tried and seems to work best is by scheduling email because email comes at all, all hours of the day. And I don't know, but I get hundreds of emails a day, many of which I can just delete, but others that I have to respond to. And so what, people say is to schedule it just like you would schedule anything else and don't check it mm. when you're not scheduled. So block out however much time you think you should do. The problem is, of course, you it never <laughs> is enough time. Yeah. Try and touch things once. So read it, delete it, read it, deal with it or put it in a scheduled time for some other thing if it's going to take more time. I like that. Yeah, touch things once. I've never thought of that. The touch things once is I think really important because if you're not you either have to deal with it and just get it off your plate or or put it in a place where it's never going to it's never going to impact you again. And some people have a, you know, never delete their emails they just keep their inbox thousands and thousands of messages long, which, which gives me anxiety. <laughs> I, like, I like to have my inbox at about 200 things that I have to deal with or I want to <laughs> keep track of it. And then I file the rest of them away if, if it's something that I want to keep forever. But I think from a prioritization strategy, it's what system works best for you. Yeah. and figure it. And you just may have to try a bunch, but it's just important to have one because otherwise you're just sort of floundering around thinking I don't know what I should do and and that itself can be paralyzing.
0: So let me ask you this, how do you deal with email when you are on time off because that is kind of my struggle like do I just ignore email for an entire weekend or a holiday and then come back to like a million emails or do I go in for 10 to 20 minutes a day when I'm taking time off to weed out the garbage?
1: So I would say it depends on what your goals are. So for we just went away for a long weekend for the Memorial Day weekend. And I came back to, I don't know, just a 100 emails that I had to read through and respond to. But I had deleted all of the stuff that I knew I was just going to delete. So I touched it but when i'm really on a break when i say i'm not responding to anything i just mm-hmm. just turn off my email i don't even put it on my phone i turn it off so i don't even want to look at it mm-hmm. and people know that they can get a hold of me in another way so i'm i'm because i do research with people that my my staff need to be able to be able to reach out to me if there is an emergency and that happens occasionally. So I'm never completely off the grid, but I really do try when I'm on vacation, when I'm really on vacation to turn it all off. No, I know you were just talking to Jenna, right? Oh yeah. And the idea of scheduling and scheduling all posts so that she could take a block of time off. I have never done that for my blog And and I would find the responding to email to be one of the hardest things to figure out how to do, because you could schedule your posts. That's not an issue. It's just when you get a comment, you want to be able to respond to a comment. And I haven't in my mind figured out how, how I would want to do it. Maybe I don't have a virtual assistant, obviously, because I'm so young in my blog, but I might if I were going to take a s- extended time off, I might pay somebody for that period of time to respond to questions yeah. or comments, just because I feel badly about saying, "Oh, I, you know, I'm I'm gone for two weeks." When somebody has a, "Oh my gosh, how do you make this thing? What do I do? How do I deal with this?" I think that is a good investment of money if you,
0: especially if you are just a new blogger looking to free up some time. One of my email accounts is completely run by my VA and. It didn't take a ton of effort to train her. Like I just kind of went through some, like, you're going to get questions about recipes and you're going to get, like, you know, replying to comments, like, kind of put things in categories. And it took a little bit of time just, like, going back and forth, like, what do I do with this kind of request? But she's amazing. Like, I I don't even touch that account. So maybe that's my answer. I just get help with my my email account that is out of control, I feel like.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's a whole other question, I think, in my mind of what things do you farm out and pay Mm -hmm. for for other people to do? And I'd be happy. I've never done Pinterest. I've never done Pinterest well. I've never done Pinterest really at all. And I would have no problem having somebody do my Pinterest because, again, it came around after I did. Most of my friends are older and don't Use Pinterest, so I never felt compelled to do it. But my emails, I personally feel like, yeah, I should, I should do it. But again, this is—I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying that's how I feel. And I was so struck. I'm friends with Julia Quinn, who wrote the Bridgerton series. Okay. And I asked her once if she—I think I assumed she didn't do her social media. She does all of her social media. And I thought, how do you have the time to? Right to have a family, to do all these things, and do all of your social media when you, you're much bigger than I yeah. am right now. She's like, no, I just I couldn't imagine passing it off, and I think it's. For me, it's what are the things that I feel like I need to be, it needs to be my voice. Yeah. I feel like I have a unique voice and I'm not sure anybody else <laughs> could do it. What could I do versus what can I pass? On? I can pass the back end stuff. I can pass that off. Yeah. That doesn't need to be my voice.
0: Yeah. I I hear you. It is a constant, like, it's a battle. Like, what should I be doing? What do I feel I should be doing? What could, yeah. I mean, it's a journey. <laughs>
1: And I'm saying, Megan, I'm saying all these things like you, I should hire somebody out and I haven't Yeah, (laughs) I know I should do it, but I haven't done it yet. Yes.
0: All right. What else, what other lessons do you have for us?
1: Oh gosh. So prior prioritization means figuring out what you're going to say yes to, but the other is saying no and celebrating saying no. And I just told you, I don't do, I don't do Pinterest. I said no to Pinterest. I've dabbled in video, but right now I'm still saying no to video. I just don't have the time. I don't have the energy. And that's one of the things that I feel like, again, you can't say yes to everything. So you have to figure out what you're going to say no to. And I know somebody who in my work who is so busy that he actually has a no work buddy. Ooh. So he, every, every time he gets a quote unquote, great opportunity, he calls his no work buddy and his buddy says, no, you don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> and he, the, my friend has to justify why he wants to say yes. And if he can't justify it to the, the no work buddy, he doesn't do it uh-huh. to encourage us to say no to say no more right because again there's there's no end to all the things that we could do and you just have you have to figure out how to say no and celebrate saying oh, like i said no to this manuscript for request today i said no to these things we actually when we started one of the other newbie bloggers and i started a facebook group called uh, food blogging for beginners really just to have a community because i think i looked on uh, the Eat Blog Talk forum and and couldn't find sort of a group for newbies. And I felt that the Food Blogger Central's information was so great, but I felt so stupid <laughs> asking questions. So uh, started this. And so I do a, every week, a what are your goals for the week, right? So uh, to have some accountability, to do some short goal setting in order to get those, what's the next step? What's the next one? And I think it was last week I said, we're not going to have goals for saying yes for things. We're going to have goals for what we're going to yes. say no to. I love that. We don't often think of that either because
0: the no is powerful. If you say no, it's like you're opening up space for the yes things that you need to come in. And it's so good to celebrate those.
1: I love that you do that. That's amazing. Yes, I'm trying to celebrate. I've got two, as academic doc, I get requests to review manuscripts that other people have written and you get no money for it at all. It's just yeah. an hour or two each. And and this one journal just sent me two, I'm complaining to you right now, just sent me two requests, the same journal, two requests, <laughs> five minutes Right? <prior>. No, <laughs> I'm not even looking at either one of them. I'm saying no, because I'm so offended by that. Uh. Uh, And now I'm joyful that
0: I'm saying no to things. Yes. Yeah, that feels good. Okay, so knowing when to say no and celebrating it, what other lessons?
1: Okay, I'm just going to give you one last one that I think is really important, and it's learning how to take and to give feedback. And I had this eye-opening experience with my food blog that made me think back about starting in medicine and writing manuscripts. And you'll, you'll understand how, how I'm getting there in a second. But when we write manuscripts and you write with other people, some folks give you comments that are helpful and some folks get comments that are not so helpful. And I remember one time when I was working with my mentor who thought he knew everything. And he decided to write a whole section of this this manuscript that I had written. And I read it and I thought, wow, he's so dumb. He didn't (laughs) understand what I meant at all. He completely missed the point. And I realized after I thought for a while, he's so dumb, but it just makes me happy to say that. (laughs) (laughs) After I thought that for a while, I thought, you know, maybe I didn't explain it well enough. Maybe the point I was trying to make did he didn't get it. Maybe that is not so dumb, but I didn't convey it well. And so that's how I've taken comments in the in my work over the years is when someone says something completely ridiculous based on my my writing, I think, okay, I clearly didn't explain this. And this has come up a couple times in blogging. The first was Oh, I don't remember exactly what the wording was. It was some baking recipe. And I think I said, add the sugar and cream to it. And it was a butter, it was a cake recipe. I'm going to just make it mm-hmm. up. But it was a cake recipe where there was butter and I was adding sugar. And then you were supposed to cream the butter and sugar together. But I wrote it because the way I wrote it, she thought you add the sugar and cream, uh, but there was no cream uh, in the ingredients. So I thought, Wow, that's so obvious. Why I, so I changed. She apologized when she realized that it wasn't actually cream. It was cream as a verb, blah, blah, blah. But I thought, this is great. If you're confused, I'm just going to rewrite it differently. But, but it really came to a head or it really was clear to me how our our writing needs to be so clear for folks with the whole apple cider, apple cider vinegar issue. You've probably heard, right? Do you know the explanation for this? No. So there are, you know, there are reddits where people make fun of people leaving comments and how idiotic they must be. And one of the famous ones is someone who substitutes apple cider, apple cider vinegar for apple cider in a recipe and i have a post on my site that is a me trying to make one of the recipes from the great british bake off and trying to translate a british written recipe to what ingredients i might have and in this recipe list is cloudy apple juice which i interpreted to be apple cider mm-hmm and i wrote it and the, and the recipe didn't work out as well and somebody commented and said well of course it didn't work well you used apple apple cider vinegar i thought no i used just apple cider well it turns out that in britain they don't when you say apple cider they mean vinegar oh and right and so apple cider there is cloudy cloudy apple juice it's unfiltered apple juice i thought oh my gosh, rather than just saying this person is so stupid for thinking that they should use apple cider vinegar you think what where could I have gone wrong and where could I have not explained something slightly better? Yeah so it it's, it still is very frustrating when people leave comments that are are uh, that they did something different with your recipe but but maybe there is a, a point where you should think, Did I do something that wasn't as clear in this? It's easy to get
0: upset and defensive, right? (laughs) Like, who are they to leave this comment? But if you just take a pause and read it, sometimes it is actually helpful. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> not all the time. <laughs> Definitely Sometimes not. Sometimes
1: they really did substitute too
0: many things. Yep. Or they just left a really rude comment. So from all of these lessons, which are all amazing, I love every one of them. What do you think is your favorite or maybe most important? Do you have one that kind of tops the others?
1: Ooh. I think for me, because if you asked me, if I could have anything in the world, it would be more time. So I think for me, the the lesson that I have is about prioritization is figuring out which, which things are most important to you. Everybody's going to be slightly different. Which things do you need to get done? What can you not ever get done? And figure out how to how to make a to-do list and how to prioritize and i have found from my years and years of trying different ways to to do to-do lists and to prioritize is that i use a i personally use a two by two table of i put things that are easy to do and high priority on the left side of that two by two i put things that are high priority but harder to get done on the top right things that are quick and low priority on the bottom left things that are low priority and take a lot of time on the bottom right and i know that i'm never going to pretty much never going to do the things that are on the bottom right unless unless they change in priority or they become easier to do and i know that those things that are on the top left that are high priority and easy to do that's going on my daily to-do list yeah. every day you're hearing a little bit about the dysfunction about how how I have so many to-do lists but but that's my my daily to-do list i want to get i want to get all of those things done that are high priority easy to do and i want to make some progress on the things that are sort of will take longer oh. but it's all re- really about prioritization but but again i'm going to emphasize that everybody does their to-do list differently and their prioritization differently. And you just need to figure out what's going to work for you. You just have to prioritize in some way. And so many of your other
0: points kind of relate to that. Like part of the prioritization is knowing what to say no to and what to eliminate. And, you know, I don't, I like how all of it kind of ties together. So love this. This was so amazing. Thank you, Joanne, for your time and for all of this incredible value you shared. We so appreciate you. You're
1: welcome. It's so much fun chatting with you i listen to you all the time but i've not had ever had the chance to chat with you so it's been fun to yeah it's been great to
0: connect finally i've seen your name so much in the eblog talk forum and now i actually have made the connection so it's been wonderful on my end as
1: well do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with Sure. and And it's probably along the same lines, but it's something that my father, who was a economics professor, he was also an academic. Something my father always used to say to him when I'd get on the phone and I'd complain about all the work that I have I had to do, and I didn't know what to do, and I, I just felt overwhelmed. And he said to me, "Just do something." Mm-hmm. Right? So much of that feeling of overwhelm is that being stuck. And one way to get yourself unstuck is to do something. It doesn't have to be that highest priority thing on your, do list, on your to-do list. Just just do something. And often it's just checking one box off gets you to the next thing. Oh, that's amazing advice. Love it. Well,
0: we'll put together a show notes page for you, Joanne. If you want to go peek at those, go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash ugly duckling bakery. Tell everyone where they can find you, Joanne.
1: I am happily ugly duckling bakery everywhere. Perfect. No one else had the name. <laughs> there, there, there are a few out there, but somehow nobody yeah. had those handles on any of the social media. Oh, glad you got lucky with that. That's awesome. Well, thank you again,
0: Joanne, for being here and thank you so much for listening today, Food Bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you posted it to your social media feed and stories. I will see you next time.